0: All right, Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And let me say, by way of introduction, this is one of the most personal aspects of the letter that we've seen up to this point. You see a lot of Paul's heart here uh, and some really important doctrine as well. And by way of organization, I'm going to have three points some of which I will spend more time on than others, and then there'll be several other more minor principles that I will pull out along the way. But let's go ahead and get right after it, right here in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and those at Laodicea for all who have not seen me face to face. Now, let me give you the principle first and then we'll unpack it. The principle is this that Paul's struggle should both encourage and challenge us today. Paul's struggle should both encourage and challenge us today. And the struggle here that he is describing is particularly interesting. Some very powerful emotive language that he uses. Uh, this word here could be translated as exerting. It's where we get our English word agony. Uh, And he is not saying this in a pity party, feel sorry for me way, but to really reveal the depth of what is in his heart for them. And he is likely in jail when he's writing this, so he's talking, I think, specifically about his struggle in prayer for them. But this word that he's using here is also of particular interest because it is derived from the place where the Greeks assembled for their Olympic Games a place where they agonized and wrestled and did foot races and fought to win whatever prize they were chasing. And so he's saying, Colossians, I've never met you face to face. I've never met the folks, uh, or and he's talking also about the folks at Laodicea, which is a, a place up the road, a major city near them, and for all the others that have not encountered him face to face. And he's saying, this is what is in my heart For you. It is this struggling in prayer. It also reminds me of what we learned from church history. There's a man named William Carey. Uh, Many regard him as the father of modern missions. And he had a leather globe that he fashioned so that he could pray for the people around the world that he had never seen. And I think when we think about Paul's example, when we think about Carey's example, This gives us an opportunity to reflect about our own hearts and ask some difficult questions. Do we pray like this? Do we struggle? Do we wrestle? Do we agonize in prayer like this? And my guess is, if you're like me, the answer is, well, sometimes. But for us in the modern West, this does not come naturally. It does not come natural to us. And also, everything about our culture pulls us in the other direction. Because what are we given? Stream, on demand. Cook your baked potato, on demand. You got something going on at your house? We'll be there within 60 minutes. Everything about the world in which we live leans in the other direction. But the good news of the gospel is, Jesus makes another world possible. Jesus gives us access to a world in which struggling for people that you've never even met in person makes sense. Because Paul wasn't living just for now. He wasn't in jail just for now. He was living for eternity. And I think we need to be encouraged and challenged by this example. And I think we need to ask ourselves through the grace of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit what's one good concrete next step that we could take toward making this more of our reality? Is it starting a little prayer list on your phone? Is it using an old school device called a post it note and putting it somewhere prominent to remind us to pray? Or is it something completely different? Whatever the Lord might be saying to us, let's be heartened, let's be challenged, let's be encouraged by Paul's example, and go and do likewise. Now, let's take a look at verse 2. Because here, we get our second principle. And that is that the content of Paul's prayer can encourage and challenge us as well. The content of Paul's prayer can encourage and challenge us as well. Let's look at what he's praying. He's praying that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, let's break this down. First word there, encouraged, literally means to call alongside. And he knows the context in which he's speaking. He's been very articulate about all of the heretical teaching that he knows that they are enduring. And he's saying, I want your heart to be encouraged in the midst of that. I am praying that that you would know that the Holy Spirit is coming alongside of you, that you would know your brothers and sisters are coming alongside of you, that I am alongside of you. And we are standing together against this onslaught of falsehood. And that next phrase that he uses there, being knit together in love, is actually fascinating. When we hear the word knit, what do we think? We think like knitting, like a sweater. But the Greek that he's using here is actually more of a picture of what we would know today as welding. (laughs) That he's saying that you guys would be welded together in love to be able to withstand that. And the goal of that welding is that they would reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and knowledge and mystery of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, we're going to spend a good chunk of time on that last phrase, but let's talk about this <coughs> notion of being knit together here in love. Because what it seems that he's saying is that the depth of understanding of God is facilitated by believers' hearts coming together and being bound together in love. Another way to say it would be something like this. (laughs) Gospel community helps us see Jesus more clearly. F.F. Bruce, well-known scholar, commentates this. Paul emphasizes that the revelation of God cannot be properly known apart from the cultivation of brotherly love within the Christian community. So what he's saying here is, if you really want to fully experience Christ, you need Christ, you need you, you need your Bible, and you also need other Christians. So this whole modern thing that happened during COVID that some people are still thinking is okay, where you're just going to sit in your house and only watch the screen and never interact with other Christians... If that's your plan, that's not going to help you understand the greatness of the fullness of Christ in the way that God would want you to. Now, are there exceptions to this? Absolutely. The pandemic is one of them. Are there exceptions to this in that aged folks who can't get to church shouldn't watch the, the computer or the TV? Absolutely. There's exceptions to this. But for most of us, we need to make sure that we don't take exceptions and make them the rule. Because Jesus wants us to experience him within the context of biblical community. That's what Paul is praying for them, that they would be welded, knit together for the purpose of understanding all the greatness of who Jesus is. So we need one another on this journey. And I think this fleshes out in a myriad of ways, but let me give you just a couple. Number one, we need to learn from each other. And I mean that first and foremost in the sense that I've got the microphone today, but Aaron had it last week, David will have it in a couple of weeks, and we want to see multiple people raised up that can teach the Bible. This is a relational thing that happens. It's not simply that I'm downloading research to you, but we are in this journey together becoming more like Christ. We need each other. On top of that, you think about the conversations that happen in community group. We need to hear what each other have to say. Well, you struggle with this. Well, guess what? So do I. I need to hear how the Lord has brought you out because some days it's just a struggle to keep going. We need each other in that way. Beyond that, you also think about this concept here. What does he say here? Be knit together in unity. Now, when we think about unity, we've got to make sure we have a full understanding here. Sometimes when we think about unity, we have almost this silly concept where it's like we think everybody has to be like riding a tandem bicycle and have matching, you know, shirts from Gatlinburg that say best friends forever with the number four, right? That's a comical sense of unity. What he's talking about here is a unity in the gospel against this false teaching and also in moving the mission forward. And that's important. It's important in the capital C church. It's important in the local church because we need to be pulling in the same direction. And that direction is the gospel deeper within us and further out to the nations, That's what we need to be about. But guess what churches are not known for? Unity. You know what they often are known for? Gossip, slander, backbiting, fighting about things that don't really matter, political division, fights over the color of the carpet. We don't want to be about that. And by God's grace, we're not about that. So let's be encouraged that we're on this path and by God's grace, let's stay on this path and let none of us do anything that would undercut our unity in the gospel and our expansion of the gospel. Because what Paul is praying for them, he might as well be praying for Christians throughout all of history. And we want to live into (coughs) what he is talking about here. Now, As I mentioned a moment ago, community is great, community is important, but community is not an end in itself. We need each other, clearly, but it's also like a pair of glasses through which we can see the beauty of Jesus. Because part of what happens here is we experience Christ in part through one another. I can't tell you how many times... That I've been very discouraged about X, Y, Z, and I get into some conversation with my wife or with David or with Steve or with one of the rest of you. And I walk away from that going, God helped me through that conversation. I experienced the power and the presence of Christ because of those words fitly spoken in that moment. Somebody had something for me that was like the Proverbs say, apples of gold and settings of silver, and it helped me. That's what we want. We want to be that kind of life-giving community. And part of what we want to see through these glasses of community, look back in your text here, is that the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then Paul gives us a little insight into what he's getting at here. (coughs) In verses 4 and 5, he says, I say this in order that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So what he's clearly doing here is he's taking a swipe at these false teachers. Because what these folks had done was they were coming along and they were saying, Hey, hey, we're about Jesus. He certainly has part of what you need, but he doesn't have everything that you need. You need the rest of the story. You need the secret truths, the passwords, these practices that will give you access to the rest of what you need. And Paul says, false not true, because in Jesus are the riches of full assurance of understanding. If you have Jesus, you already get it. If you have Jesus, you don't understand everything about God in the universe, but you understand that which is most important. And then he goes further to say the knowledge of God's mystery. So they're offering them this behind the curtain, look in and see. And he's saying, no, God has shown you his mystery. The the way that he talks about here in the original language, he's talking about that which was concealed has now been revealed in Christ. And then look at how he describes him. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Friends, astute Christians have always known that the key to spiritual well-being Is a focus on Jesus. It's no accident that Paul does not spend five chapters deconstructing all of the foibles of the Gnosticism heresy, and instead he focuses on the person of Christ. That's not an accident. And and we would be well served to pay attention to that because some of us, let's make this real practical you want to interact with Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, folks that would present, hey, we've got Jesus, but we also got this other testimony of Jesus. We've also got these other things you need to know about Jesus because he's not exactly who you think he is. Any kind of Christian-ish false religion that exists today, the best way to counter that is not knowing all of the ins and outs of their false beliefs, though you do need to know. It's to focus on Christ. It's to make sure that you know the Bible, especially when it comes to Jesus, as well as you can. So when they come along and they offer, well, Jesus, but you can say, well, I don't think that's true because here's what the Bible says. So again, it's not that we don't become versed in an apologetic sense of these other aberrant ideas. We must know about them. But the focus, the emphasis has always got to be on Jesus because when we focus on the beauty and sufficiency of Christ, then our hearts will be warmed. We will walk in the spiritual power that is available to us through the Holy Spirit, through the risen Christ, and it will empower our study and our research and our refutation in these other areas and on top of that we'll become more convinced of the gospel we'll become more in love with jesus who loves us so so it's a question of emphasis it's a question of focus and he keeps taking them back to christ time after time after time because he knew that's where the emphasis needs to go. Somebody wrote C.S. Lewis a letter, right as he, he was on the home stretch of his life. He was a little girl. And this is what he wrote back to her He said, Dear Ruth, many thanks for your kind letter. And it was very good of you to write and tell me that you like my books. And what a, good, what a very good letter for you to write for your age. If you continue to love Jesus, nothing much can go wrong with you. And I hope that you may always do so. So friends, what did he know? He knew that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were in Christ. And he knew the best way to help this girl on her journey in just a few words was to point her to Jesus, Friends, part of the reason why we gather, part of the reason why we gather interpersonally, part of the reasons why we have men and women's Bible studies and so on is because we want to hold out Christ for you every time. That's what we want. That's what we need. Let me also share this from a man named Alexander McLaren. He says this, he says, In Christ is in a great storehouse lie all the riches of spiritual wisdom. The massive ingots of solid gold when coined into creeds and doctrine are the wealth of the church. All of that that we know concerning God and man, concerning sin and righteousness and duty, concerning another life, is in him in the home of the deep mine." Where the truth is stored. The central fact of the universe and the perfect encyclopedia of all moral and spiritual truth is Christ, the incarnate word, the Lamb that was slain, the ascended King. So, friends, the encouragement for us here is make much of Jesus. Never stop making much of Jesus. When we're in community together, make much of Jesus. It is a pair of glasses through which we can see the beauty of Jesus all the more clearly. So when we get to verses 6 and 7 here, Paul takes everything that he said here about his own struggle, how important it is to him, Then he builds this idea of just how important Jesus is, that he is what they are looking for. And then upon that foundation, he gets very practical and he gives very clear instruction. Look at it. He says, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in Thanksgiving. Now, let me give you the principle first, and then we'll unpack it. The way we came to know Jesus should be reflected in the way we walk with Jesus. The way we came to know Jesus should be reflected in the way we walk with Jesus. Now, let's unpack this. The way they came to know Jesus is the way we all come to know Jesus. They came to the point, by the grace of God, that they recognized their own spiritual bankruptcy. That they could not save themselves. That their good works were not good enough. And that their only hope was to turn from their sin and to trust in Christ. To transfer the leadership of their life over to Jesus. To accept Him as Savior and to identify Him as Lord. He's saying, you came to Jesus the right way. You recognize that everything you need in life is in him. And because that's how you came in, that's how you're going to go in. That's how you came to Jesus. This is how you need to walk in Jesus. And this idea here of walking, we've talked about this before. We saw this a lot in the book of Proverbs. It's kind of a euphemism for living, so have your life. Do your parenting. Spend the money that God has given you. Enjoy the recreation that God has, given, God has given you. Everything you do, do it in Christ. But it's this notion of Jesus being Lord that's very, very important. It's a, it's a gather-up term. It's a dynamic, comprehensive title. And he's saying, listen, The fake Jesus that the the heretics are offering you, that's not Jesus' Lord. That's Jesus' something, but it's not Jesus' Lord. And so you need to stay on the path that you're on. Continue on the path of Jesus being in charge of your life. The way you began with him is the way you need to keep going with him. And I like what Spurgeon had to say about this. He said, It's interesting to notice that the apostles preached the lordship of Christ. The word Savior occurs only twice in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5 and 13. But on the other hand, the word, the title, Lord, is mentioned 92 times. Lord Jesus, 13 times. The Lord Jesus Christ, 6 times. The gospel is, in the book of Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so I think part of the application for us here is twofold. Because when we understand Jesus being our Lord, what does that look like? Well, I think there is a single moment sense in which Jesus becomes our Lord, and then there is a moment-by-moment sense in which we seek to make Jesus our Lord. And here's what I mean. If you've never come to the place where you've turned from your sins, you realize you couldn't save yourself, and you trusted fully in Christ for salvation, then today, you need to make Jesus your Lord in that single moment sense. You need to put your faith and trust in Christ, and you need to abandon your self-salvation project. We need to make Jesus our Lord in that single moment sense. But for those of us who've already made that turn, the joyful pursuit of the rest of our lives is to seek to bring every moment under the lordship of Christ. Now, are we going to get that right? <clears throat> Not in every moment. But when we get it wrong, we go back to that same Lord and we say, Lord, forgive me. Please help me. Give me grace for a different outcome next time. And it's this constant cycle of faith and repentance. That we're not getting saved over and over and over, but we're reminding ourselves that we are saved over and over and over. And we're reminding ourselves that Jesus is Lord over and over and over. And we are experiencing His forgiving grace over and over and over, not in a saving sense, but in a sanctifying sense, where every moment we're pushing further up under the Lordship of Christ. You might say, Dustin, I'm totally on board with that, but make it practical for me. How do we do that? Well, let me give you just two ways. Number one, get to know your Bible. Because do you want to know what it looks like to put yourself under the lordship of Christ in all those little moments? Well, the Bible tells you. It doesn't tell you every single thing to do. It doesn't tell you what dentist to choose, where to get your car washed, whether or not you need an umbrella today. But today you do, by the way. But it does tell you the things we need to know. It tells us about the heart of God. It tells us what God wants us to do in life. It begins with the Word. And then the second thing that helps me a lot is just cultivate this conversational relationship with the Lord. And what I mean by that is I find myself many, many times praying prayers like this. Lord, what do you want to do? in this situation. And it's for those things that are not specifically called out in the Scriptures. Do I get into this investment or I get into that investment? Do we do this at this time or this at this time? What do we do in this situation or in parenting or whatever? The specifics. Lord, help me be a good steward. Help me live under your lordship in this moment. And you know what? Every time I pray, He helps me. Every time I pray, He helps me. Now, do I always know with 100% clarity what I need to do? Absolutely not. But I know this, that the Lord is with me in those moments. And that when I do make mistakes, those times especially when I didn't ask for His help, that He welcomes me back every time. I've never come to the Lord and Him shook His head at me and say, shame on you. Because that's not who Jesus is. He welcomes all of us that are burdened with anything. So if you want to know what does the Lordship of Christ look like over your parenting, read the Bible and pray. And ask some other Christians. They'll help you. They can even recommend some other books that might help. You want to know what it looks like to be a stay-at-home mom that's also doing a side business of some kind? All those things. Read the Bible, pray, ask for help. The Lord will help you. The church will help you. Whatever your situation is, the goal for us is to grow in the way we came in. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord in the moment and in the moment by moment. That's what he wanted for the Colossians, and that's what he wants for us. So let me ask this practical question. What's a good concrete step that you can take in this direction today? For some, we don't make any assumptions about anybody here. It could be that you turn from your sin and you make Jesus Lord today for the first time. And in just a minute, when the rest of us take communion, we'll give you the opportunity to do that. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. And for those who've already made that turn, what's the Lord saying to you? How can you move in this direction even further? Now, as we come on to the home stretch here, he also offers a couple of other metaphors. He says here, rooted and built up in him. That rooted is a perfect tense. It's a one-time event with ongoing implications. And then built up in him is a present tense that he is encouraging that that would continue to happen now. And then also this phrase here, established in the faith just as you were taught. So again, he's saying, you don't need this phony 2.2 upgrade that they're offering you. Stay with the original article. And that language that he uses there is really it's strong, it's almost militaristic. He's talking about a maturity that comes from the essentials. One writer said it like this, and this has always stuck with me. I learned this years ago, or years ago. We never go, never grow beyond the gospel, rather, just deeper into it. Isn't that a good reminder? We never grow beyond the gospel but rather just deeper into it. And then finally, he closes with this. He says, <clears throat> abounding in thanksgiving. And the picture here is almost that of a river overflowing its banks. And you think about this. This is a right in line with all the other commands of the Scriptures to be thankful and so on and so forth. And I think in some ways this would have served as a further inoculation to the false teaching that they were enduring. Because you know the people that would have been probably most susceptible to the Gnostic heresy? The people who were no longer thankful for the true gospel. Because they would have gone on, beyond. Oh, Jesus died for me, Jesus loves me. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that. Let's talk about this. And when we're doing it right, when we're talking about, Whatever we're talking about, the nature of the Trinity, how it's all going to work out in the end times, all the different thoughts about the atonement. Do you know what all of that needs to be rooted in? The simple fact of the gospel. We never go beyond it. We just go deeper into it. And, And let me just say this for our congregation. I have had the privilege to be around some very, very articulate theologians over the years. Some could, your head would explode when they just answered basic questions. But here's the sad reality. Some of them were not very humble. And to me, the difference between super knowledge that can become puffed up and super knowledge in which love builds up is the gospel. That's the difference. Because if we never lose sight of the fact that we were such sinners that we needed a substitutionary death on our behalf, and yet we are so loved that Jesus was willing to die for us joyfully. Friends, if we can hang on to that simple fundamental gospel truth, you can learn anything you want to about the Trinity and you will be more thankful and more humble and covered up with gratitude. And you know what the Colossians needed? That's what they needed. They needed to abound in thanksgiving for the basics so that they could walk away from the nonsense. And do you know what we need today? We need to be abounding in thanksgiving so that when any other Christian-ish false religion comes along or any other Christian-ish all kinds of ideology that's out there today, we can go back to the basics and say, but does this line up with the gospel? Is there humility? Is there transformative grace? And does it lead to welling up gratitude in my heart? Friends, Paul's message in this passage and in all passages is that Jesus is enough. Community is a pair of glasses that helps us see that Jesus is enough. The struggle in Paul's heart is there to show us Jesus is enough. And that's how I want to leave us today. With this clarion reminder that Jesus is enough is enough for us. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we come before you this morning and we are thankful for our brother Paul. We are thankful for his struggle for those that he never saw in person. And even though he was talking about those Colossian brothers and sisters, does that not apply to us? Lord, it does, and we thank you for the ministry of our brother that you used to get us the good news so long ago. So, Lord, I pray that your word would do its work this morning in my heart, in the hearts of our church, in the further conversations that are coming down the pike and community group this week, and all the interpersonal here and there and back and forth and seeking to bring all those moments under your lordship. We pray that you would be glorified and that we would see what only you can do in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.